Hi, I'm Regine Basha. And I'm Natalie Basha. Today on Kitchen Radio, this is a really special episode because we're going to be connecting remotely with artist Rafram Haddad, who's actually based in Tunis. He moved there from Israel several years ago, and he's been cooking and documenting the history of Jewish presence there through food. Now, Rafram's photographs of his surroundings are extremely vivid and poetic. And through his Instagram account, you get a really close-up view of his life there. You know, what he's making, what he's eating, as well as what he's finding in terms of historical artifacts related to his family's Jewish history in Tunisia. Make sure to check out his Instagram account at Rafram underscore X. Rafram, welcome. We're so happy to be able to speak to you today. We're very excited. We're big fans of your Instagram account and everything that you post. Oh, yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us, what are you going to be cooking for us today? Um, so um, I think the most classic thing is a brick, which is like, uh, uh, the name is like connected to burek, this kind of like Turkish dish ah. that is like made from uh, thin pastry leaf, like yufka. And it rolled around the Ottoman Empire. It could become filo in Greece. And here it's called warka, which is like a paper. Or, uh, um, and here it's also deep fried because mm. there's Sicilian influence also. <laughs> what, uh, so what kind of influence you said? Sicilian influence. Oh, of, Sicilian. Oh, wow. Deep, deep frying everything. Everything is deep fried yeah. here. Totally. Many, many dishes. And it's connected to Sicilians who were here from 19th century. The one who didn't have money to go to New York, they came here, which mm -hmm. is very close to here. It's a few, a few miles from here. Um, so there are all kinds of like inputs for, to this dish, basically. I mean, if we, we can talk also about Andalus influence with eggs that are everywhere in this cuisine. So in the brick, of course, there's egg inside, deep fried. So it's like... It's a dish that tells a story of many, many uh, inputs, mm. and many interesting um, uh, what's local, what's coming out from outside. And, and, uh, and it's very recognized with Jews here for some reason. It's, so it's an amalgamation, really, of all these different cultures that have touched Tunisia, including yeah, the because Jewish. Because Tunisia, I mean, many, today, if people think about Tunisia, they don't know actually where it is. But Tunisia is Carthago, is Carthage, basically. It's like a very, very famous place in the history of, of Mediterranean, of the world, of the planet. And because of its location, it's in the middle of the Mediterranean. And so we have, I mean, the last president here was uh, from, it was a slave from Corsica. I mean, his family was slaves from Corsica. And the national singer is from Bosnia, Lutfi Bushnak. And we have so many, many people coming in and out, like Turks and, and uh, pirates from everywhere. And this, you can see it in the cuisine. And, and this is one of the dishes that is very, very, uh, can tell a story basically. Like there's a grandfather from Sicily, a grandmother from Spain, uh, Ottoman Empire, uh, street food, all these things are together in this dish. What we want to know also is when did you move back to Tunisia and, and why did you choose to move back? Or to move there, I should say. Yeah, um, so I came back to Tunis, um, and it's important the use of words, I use it here. I was born in Tunis, and I came back eight years ago. I mean, the official version is seven, because I have an exhibition called The Seven Good Years. <laughs> like power And, and we should say, just to, just to interrupt, you, came, you were in Israel. Yes. So yes. when we say you came back, you were living in Israel and then you went to Tunisia. Yeah, I grew up in Israel and, mm -hmm. and Got it. 
So basically, it's not very like, you know, coming back to your homeland, but basically I lived in Germany, I lived in Italy, I lived all over the world, basically. I'm, I'm a visual artist, so it's like uh, nomadism is, was part of my practice almost. And after a few years in Germany, when it was very, very nice financially and, and professionally, I almost felt I want to die because it was a bit stressful place to live. And then I said, okay, maybe I move to Italy, maybe Sicily. And then Tunis became an option. I, Tunis for me was only a place to visit family in the South. But then suddenly I, I, had, I had a small group show here in Tunis uh, in the summer. It was eight years ago. And then I decided to have one year in Tunis just to have to check how is it to rent a place, to live really in a place that is, was a dream for me. Because Tunis uh, for, for us, for most Tunisian, I think, especially the one who lives in Israel who have no access to Tunis, but we had access because we have the passports. Tunis was a dream because you speak Tunisi in the house, you speak the language, you eat the food all every day. This is the only food that my mother cooks. She never cooks sushi. She never made boretas even. She never <laughs> made kube. She never made even other Mizrahi food. Only, only Tunisian food. Uh, the language is Tunisi. Uh, the clothes, the, the hab, everything is about Tunis. My grandfather was also the head of the, of the, of the, of the community in Germany. So he published books about Tunis, about Tunis life, Tunis Jews, customs. So Tunis wow. was never a real place. It was always kind of a dream. And even visiting Jerba was only family with couscous, with this, and then we live like a week, two weeks. And then for me, Tunis to find a house, to go into the internet, which is weird. What's internet got to do with Tunis? For me, it was completely a place in the past. And then to go to Beladia, which is the municipality and rent a place and pay and pay. I mean, everything was a crazy, for me, was a, a, almost a revolutionary idea for me. Like, uh, especially there's no big art scene and stuff. And, uh, but then uh, one year became two, two years. And, and, uh, and finally, I'm here almost eight years, which is like, it's, mm. I must say, it's very, very comfortable. I mean, if it was Khartoum, if I was from Sudan or something, maybe it would be different. But Tunis is, besides being my, uh, the place where I come from, is also a very, very convenient place to live. It's a Mediterranean, very, very low right. back, people walk slow. People never, you never see people running in the street, never see Tunisian running. It's like impossible to see it. I mean, uh, and you walk slow. It's like, it's, it's a different lifestyle. You have the fish coming from the sea. It's very, very different. And, and when you got used to it, I mean, I'm already like, it's too much for me because I, I don't want to be like in a retreat, like in a retirement. I feel like I'm in retirement. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, so like, you are a Jewish Israeli man who came from Germany and, and all these things. How are you regarded by the general population in Tunis? I mean, what's the community? How does the community respond to you? Uh, you mean the local community, the Muslims? Yeah, the local community. Um, so, so interesting to see. I, I mean, I think it's also very similar to how the Jews look at me here, the Tunisian Jews. Uh, because it's usually the same. Uh, so I'm considered not to be even Israeli. I'm considered to be somebody who visited Israel, basically, who grew up in Israel. Very similar to how Tunisian perceived Tunisian who moved to France when they were kids and came back. They don't conceive as French. Even the ones who were born in France, they're not conceived as French. They're considered to be part of diaspora. Uh, and that's something very... Um, dialectical. I mean, it's always a bit changing. It depends on the situation and everything. And um, when I was in Israel, I was considered to be Tunisian, of course. Everyone called me Tunisian in Israel. 
Uh, and I know that when you leave Israel, you become Israeli again because you want to represent basically some kind of a story or, or something else. But because I have the language and the dialect, uh, the Tunisian language and Tunisian dialect, and because I was born there, I mean, it's, it could be different, but this kind of situation, this kind of life, uh, I grew up through and uh, uh, I'm here passing as Tunisian. Can you give us a, a, a profile of Tunisian Jewish cooking? Like is, what always appears in Tunisian Jewish cooking? What's a staple? So first of all, it's very interesting to say something that basically Tunisian Jewish cooking is Tunisian cooking because what happened in Tunis that most restaurants were held by Jews, talk about the 50s, the 40s of the last century. And because the life were, if you compare it mostly to other countries in the world, the life between Jews and Muslims were not so, so bad. So the Jewish food, uh, the, the food that connected to Jews are well known and perceived by, by non-Jews also. For example, the brick, for example, is connected, is considered to be Jewish, but in the end of Ramadan, everyone have brick every night, which is amazing. It's like a very Muslim oh, wow. uh, holiday. And the, but the most classic thing, there's something called kaskrutunzi and shantunzi. Kaskrutunzi is a Tunisian plate. Kaskrutunzi, sorry, it's a Tunisian sandwich. And shantunzi is a Tunisian plate. Shantunzi. Han, Han is a plate. Han, Han Tunsi. Tunsi means of Tunis, Han, right? Han yes. Tunsi. Oh, okay. wow. So Han Han plate, and, it's, and the legend said that there was a poor Jew in Malsa in 18th century. It's a suburb here. He collected the potatoes, eggs from each shop, olives, capers, tuna, eggs. So all this kind of like combination built this Han Tunsi, the Tunisian plate. And later on also on the Salat Nisuaz, which connected to Tunisian immigrants. And of course, the Tunisian sandwich, which have everything inside. It's kind of like preserved lemon, harissa, olives, capers, eggs, potatoes, fish, like sardines or tuna. So this kind of stuff is very, very, uh, let's say, uh, summarizing. I mean, it's like the essential of the Tunisian cuisine and also the Tunisian Jewish cuisine, which is very, very similar to each other. Because this is the typical, typical job for the Jews to cook. And uh, it's almost became a bit banal, you know, everyone, uh, when, you, when, you, when I meet people here, it's like, oh, the food, the food, we miss the food. It's always about the food because the Jews were connected to the food. And, and this is something, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing because that's how you learn about society, about how food uh, was connected to how Jews were living with Muslims and trust each mm -hmm. other in a way of food and where do you eat and everything else. And, and brick is the classic example, I mean. Sometimes you can put capers inside, sometimes you can put the tuna inside. It's awesome. The same kind of like, let's say, uh, essentials of the cuisine. Capers probably is one of the most essentials, but also tuna and also, I mean, eggs. It's like, it's like a set coming mm. in everywhere. I find it fascinating. And I learned something too. I didn't actually know that there, that, you know, Jewish Tunisian food is essentially Tunisian food, that, that there wasn't any offshoot or something. I, I didn't know that. It's the same. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot. It's just a lot like that in Iraqi cooking as well. They often say it's really just Iraqi cuisine, but, but there are moments where like for Shabbat, there's something no, but specific, they, they do, you know, just because do, of the timing. They do, say, they do say that the food in Tunis is Jewish, the locals here. Oh, the they, locals really? say this. Oh, yeah, that's something new. The say, yeah, the Jews brought the food. The Jews brought the food. Because the uh, Jews were the ones cooking it? The one cooking in the restaurant, the bars, everything was Jewish here. It was a Jewish city. It was a third of the population. So, right. uh, 
And they so were it's still referred to, even even though it's not yeah, just yeah, Jews yeah. eating it. Completely. You know, everyone... you know, there was a, there was a discussion in the in the parliament a few years ago about Jews, about you know, all kinds of stuff. And then somebody says, you know, Jews are our brothers here, who never been to Jerba and didn't went to see a brick in the Hara. You know, that was the sentence he said in the parliament. Who amazing? I mean, everyone who have every Tunisian who go to Jerba, the island to have you know, it's like where you have the the beach and everything, you know, it's like the most touristic area of Tunis. Everyone who go there, go to have brick in the Hara. It's a bit of reduction. This is the Jew, the Jews is brick, yes, but this is like, this is a very important part of the thing here. The pizza Tunisian is, is a Jewish pizza for me. It's like pizza with anchovies and olives uh, and tomato sauce. So it's and so interesting. So it's not erased from the culture as it had been in other Middle no, Eastern no, countries. Absolutely not. It's, no, no, it's recognized, it's yes. appreciated. Food recognized. Yes. Yeah, very recognized. Food. Wow. In the house domestically, like when there's Passover, for instance, what you know, how I think for our listeners who may not be able to imagine, like what would be on the table at Passover in Tunisia, a Tunisian you know, Passover like that, that really typifies being yeah. there. Could you give us an idea just to so, first of all, brick will never be eaten in the home, <laughs> right? Uh, but when we go to Passover, we have. I come from Jerba, from the island in the south, which have a very, very old community, like thousands of years community. My mother's side is from the oldest community, hmm. from the priest, from the temple. And my father is from the Andalus, like from 500 years. And uh, first of all, the Harazira, the Jews from the small quarter, they eat the Ftair, which is matzah, uh, get, hmm. like It looks like uh, a bread, basically. It's very, very soft bread, very thin bread. And it's elastic. It's not like cracker, you know. Not like matzah. So that's the matzah of the harazira. The harakbira, the Jews of the big quarter. Harakbira, hara is basically quarter. It's four. When you ask eggs here, you ask hara adam, like four eggs. Uh, they eat in different, they eat the classic matzah. But the thing here, like Tunis also in the Arab world, not even in the Jewish world, is, is called Tunis al-Khadra, which means mm-hmm. Tunis the green. Tunis the green because it's one of the most greener Arab countries, basically because of because of the altitude, because it's high, also high mountains, mm-hmm. there's snow, and this is connected to a, a dish called msuki. Msuki is a dish of 26 kind of vegetables that we have in 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 the in, the, in Passover. Wow, uh, 26 greens basically. So it's from uh, um, uh, klafes, which is celery, which is karpas. <laughs> Uh, and artichokes and the, and peas and and uh, everything. Oh my I mean, god! Beet beet leaves, everything. Twenty six. It's like very holy, very holy number in Judaism, connected to God name. Uh, so twenty six kind of vegetables, and then and lamb, of course, because lamb is a very very popular uh, animal here. And in the spring, it's the, it's the prime of. So for us, usually we start with we sit on the floor. We don't sit on the table like uh, like people. We have mattresses <laughs> on the floor. Uh, we read the Haggadah in Arabic, in Judah, Tunisian, of course. Yes, yes. And uh, there is the Ftair, there is the one that, you know, they make in Jerba mostly. They harvest it from the north of Tunis, where you have very, very old wheat that also the Romans, when they came to Carthage, they took this wheat. This is called Durum wheat, which is used for pasta today. So it's a very place. So it's all about like what's growing in. So it's the wheat that goes to the matzah, to the ftair, we call it ftair, of tera. 
Uh, and then there's this kind of like, and then we have a clear soup basically of lamb and egg inside cooked and potato, which is clear. Wow. And then we have them soupy. So because people are hungry, so we have this kind of thing in the beginning. So you eat it and it's like amazing. And then there are, of course, the salads, the small salads and, the, you know, like pumpkin salad, this, you know, all kinds of like small kemia, like, like uh, you know, small things to eat with the matzah, with the ftail. And then there's the msuki, which comes. And so it's a lamb dish with 26 kinds of vegetables and also pieces of ftail, matzah broken inside. The 26 yeah, vegetables. I mean, I want to see an image of that at some point, too. Yeah, I, I would heard love that to. people don't like Passover food, mostly Ashkenaz Jews. I mean, but we love it. We, it's amazing food, of course. I wanted to ask about the Jewish community then. How big is it in, in Tunis? Is it just you or is there, are there many it's just <laughs> coming back? He's holding me. up the forts. It's just you. <laughs> when I go to sleep, there's no Jewish community. No, I'm joking. Uh, so in yeah, the no, South, there are some. In yeah. the island where I was born, there is basically uh, 1,200. Uh, and in Tunis, in the capital, we are around two, 300. It used to be 100,000 Jews <laughs> in the capital. It used to be a very big community, almost third of the city. And now it's completely uh, like nobody, there's nobody, almost nobody left. Only people from senior people, not young people. There is a synagogue though, right? Yeah, basically in Jerba, which is a very, very, uh, I, I did I say very, very orthodox community. Oh, I see. They have, okay. They have active 12 synagogues. 12 synagogues? 12 yes. synagogues, actually. Active, wow. active daily, daily, daily active synagogues. Very, very orthodox community. I'm talking about very. And next to it, there is a big synagogue, which is very famous all over the world because it's the oldest one in the world called Algriba, which is not very active. It's only for tourists. It's like a monument. Like a monument, it's beautiful. It looks like a palace, like this kind of Andalusian palace. And uh, so this is like the one that, but Saturday, Shabbat, they do this kind of like prayers there, like symbolic for 10 people only, because it's located in the old quarter where my mother come from, where the priests are, because most Jews are concentrated in the big quarter. And in Tunis itself, in the capital, we have the big synagogue, this like Bira, it's in the Lafayette, in the central, in the center. And there's one in Lagoulette, which is active only on Saturday. I noticed, you know, no, I noticed, Rafam, because I, I took a deep dive into your um, Instagram, and I noticed that you have a really mixed audience. You have people that people that write to you in Hebrew, people that write to you in Arabic, um, sometimes about the food, sometimes about the politics. Uh, but do you find that, that that by putting out food content, that it gets a lot of people from many different areas and backgrounds and nationalities talking together and, and bringing people together through the food? I think it's mostly about the life aspect, that food is part of it, that... Yeah. I mean, I know that many Tunisian... I don't know, it happened by chance, this kind of Instagram thing. I mean, many Tunisian expats who live outside of Tunisia, they follow me a lot because I reminded them something which is not commercial even. It's not like I'm showing Tunisia. I'm showing my life and uh, food is, is, is a big part of it because I cook usually in Tunis. I don't cook out of Tunis. Tunis is very easy to cook because the ingredients are amazing, the fish and everything. And also for me, when I, when I cooked like marmuma, which is like a confit tomato, like my mother makes, and it's Tunisian tomatoes, it struck me immediately as something that is like a memory thing. And, and I don't know how to, like the Instagram thing is sometimes I do Q&A and stuff. And, and I feel like people, 
um, because I don't know, it's not like it's not a commercial account. It's like really trying to. I don't know what I'm doing there actually. Maybe I close it, but. but <laughs> No, not yet. Don't close it. Yeah, basically, I just you know show stuff, show everyday life, and uh, and that's what I mean. I mean, because life is simple in a way. Life is normal, and and when you talk about like, because in a way also I have this privilege to be both in a way. I can I can. Yes. It's like my second life here, you know. Yeah. It's weird. It's like I'm living my second life. I, I think your Instagram actually does a really good job of, of, of kind of encapsulating the work that you do and what, what matters to you. And you even say on Instagram, obviously you have visual artists, but you also write down that you're a food activist. So yeah. what do you mean by that? Which, because I didn't know what to start to write because I, I don't have any official job in food. <laughs> uh, but I do think that food is, uh, have a political meaning in a way. Uh, in appropriation today, in uh, in what the global South means to uh, is it is are we just a pleasure place or we just also have a voice? Uh, there are lots of things between like you know there's Italy very close to here. Italy is very famous with the food made in Italy, pasta, pleasure, and everything. And many things are connected to here basically. But Tunisia is like you know people think it's close to Baghdad, Tunis, because they think the Arab world, North Africa, it's always reduction. And when we talk about food, we talk about origins and stories behind it and try to basically dilute this kind of like uh, conceptions of food because food is related also to politics because we say Absolutely. North African food. For sure. What is North African food? And Moroccan food is very similar, not similar to Tunisian. It's, this is spicy, this is sweet. I mean, people never compare even Marseille to Paris or, or uh, village north to South Italy, but people compare Egypt and Morocco and everything. And we say, oh, say Arab food, what you don't have tahina? Why not? I mean, what the fuck? Why right. should have tahina? Well, I mean, that's that... partially why we're doing this podcast is to get really regional as well to inform mm-hmm. people yeah, I mean, because of I mean, all the assumptions kind of... and presumptions and prejudices and all of these things. That yeah, uh... Middle Eastern. We think yeah. that Middle... so Italy is also Middle East. No, it's not. It's Europe. So I mean, this kind of stuff. It's all related to food, also, and this is this is yeah. how I'm interested in food. Well, Rafram, this was a fascinating conversation. Uh, and has only really convinced me that I want to come visit Tunisia even more than I did before we had this conversation. It's been high on my list. Completely. <laughs> Thank you, Rafram. Thank you for having me. Make sure to check out his Instagram account at Rafram underscore X. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on Kitchen Radio.